1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5
2: a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Decision day at the Fed as the central bank possibly prepares to do something for the first time since before the great financial crisis. Former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson is here with what we can expect. Talk about the roadblocks ahead. Shares of ride-hailing giant lifts sinking in the pre-market despite top and bottom line beats. What company executives told analysts that really didn't sit too well. On the other hand, talk about a COVID comeback. Shares of Airbnb popping after surpassing 100 million bookings for the first time ever. Much more on those results coming up ahead. Plus, Elon Musk proposing a new fee structure for some Twitter users when he takes the company private, who will likely be impacted by the new policies that's coming up. And then later on, the European Union steps up actions against Russia, looking to ban all oil imports from that country. The full story straight ahead on this Wednesday, May the 4th, be with you 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today, who is reporting from the Milken Global Conference out in California. We'll hear from Brian in just a few minutes. But first, let's kick things off with a check on the markets and your money right now, because stock futures are in the green. The Dow implied higher by roughly 72 points, the S&P by about 10 and the Nasdaq higher by roughly 25 to 26 points. We are in the middle of the trading range so far today for futures ahead of that big Fed rate decision. This after the Nasdaq posted its first back-to-back gains in about a month. Checking yields now on the 10-year Treasury as it retreats a little bit from that recent high. Now just a little above that 3% level, 3.02% the last trade there with regard to the overall five-year. The 10-year note yield, 2.97%, and the two-year just a hair below 2.8%. In the energy market, oil surging on news that the European Union is looking to ban all Russian oil imports over the next six months. Crude prices right now, you can see U.S. benchmark crude prices, $105.77, 3% gains. Ice Brent Crude Futures, the world benchmark, $108.16, 3% gains there as well. By the way, we are now trending lower throughout the course of the day, so we could see that. By the way, we are trading at the highest levels since September 2008 for certain areas of the market. And in crypto... We are seeing Bitcoin and Ether also on the move by a decent amount today. Bitcoin prices 38,000, 929, 3.5% gains, trying to find some way back over 40,000. Ether prices 2837, the last trade, 2.5% gains there. Let's get a check around the world right now. Emily Tan has the overnight action in Asia. Juliana Tattlebaum with the early European trade. And Emily, we'll begin with you.
3: Dominica, good to see you. Asian shares were mostly lower on Wednesday as investors wait on the Fed decision. Markets in Hong Kong, Seoul, Sydney, and Mumbai all ending the day down. Also, many markets closed for local holidays, including that of Japan and China. So we had turnover relatively thin. Here in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng dropped 1.2 percent, pulling back from a two-week high. Tech shares continue to underperform. Alibaba and JD.com shares both down more than three and a half percent each. We got Q1 numbers out from Yum China. Income of $100 million or 23 cents per share. The operator of the KFC and Pizza Hut restaurants posting revenue of $2.6 billion beating forecast. Omicron causing significant volatility, they say, to business operations and continue to have severe impact in the current quarter. Without any significant improvement, both in May and June, the company has warned of a Q2 operating loss. Over in Korea, Market slipped, erasing earlier gains, with transport and biotech shares lower, while utility and financials strengthened. Index heavyweight Samsung was up 0.6%. And down under, Australian shares closed down in volatile trade. The gain in financials failed to offset a slump in gold and mining stocks. That's a look at Asian trade. Back to you now.
2: All right, Emily Tan, thank you very much for that. To the early trade now in Europe, and Juliana Tattelbaum, she's got the action there. Juliana, we've got some wild moves overall in energy, especially on the European continent. Take us through the action.
4: That's right. Well, first, John, let me just outline for you what we're seeing in equity markets, and then we'll come on to the energy story, which certainly is a key part of the trade this morning. For stock markets, we are seeing a modest pullback. Investors giving back yesterday's gains, but no major moves lower in terms of the magnitude. It seems as though investors are in wait-and-see mode for the most part in the lead-up to that key Fed decision later today. And tomorrow, we've got the Bank of England coming into focus. So FTSE 100 down about half a percent, similar for the CAC 40 over in France. The DAX holding up a little bit better down about a third of a percent. But that energy story, Dom, it is crucial. The European Union this morning announced it will phase out Russian oil imports by the end of the year as it announces the latest wave of sanctions against the Kremlin. Speaking in Strasbourg this morning, EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen pledged to minimize disruption to markets.
5: This will be a complete import ban on all Russian oil seaborne and pipeline, crude and refined. We will make sure that we phase out Russian oil in an orderly fashion, so in a way that allows us and our partners to secure alternative supply routes and at the same time be very careful that we minimize the impact on the global market. And this is why we will phase out Russian supply of crude oil within six months and refined products by the end of the year.
4: Now, Dom, as you can see here, most of the oil majors are trading higher this morning. I think the crucial takeaway here from this news out of the EU is that it is aiming to ban Russian oil imports, but not natural gas. That remains a key question moving forward. And um, whether or not it becomes part of the EU's next package of sanctions remains to be seen. Much harder for the EU to quickly reduce its dependence on Russian natural gas. So that's something to watch in the days ahead. And, Dom, may the four be with you too.
2: All right. Thank you very much for that Star Wars nod. Thank you, Juliana Tannelbaum. Live in London with the latest there. <laughs> Back home here, it's decision day for the Fed. The central bank wraps up its two day policy meeting with the announcement at 2 p.m. Eastern Time today, followed, of course, by Chairman Jay Powell's news conference at 2 30 p.m. There's no mystery or guessing at all here. Economists pretty much generally believe the Fed will hike rates by about half a percentage point or 50 basis points and launch quantitative tightening QT, allowing its balance sheet to roll off at a pace that will eventually hit $95 billion per month. The Fed hasn't hiked by a half point in 22 years, and it hasn't raised rates at back-to-back meetings since 2006. So let's talk a little bit more about this with Lindsay Piegza. She's the chief economist over at Stiefel Financial. Uh, Lindsay, this is a foregone conclusion. Is there anything, any? amount of uncertainty that could creep in about the Fed's policy decision this afternoon, or is this pretty much all baked in at this point?
6: Well, the policy announcement is likely to be unremarkable. As you've mentioned, the market has been pricing in a 50 basis point increase, as well as the announcement of an inaugural drawdown of the balance sheet for some time now. So the bigger question mark surrounds additional rate increases going forward, both in number and size. So we'll be watching the chairman's press conference very closely to see if there's any indication of support for a potentially larger increase as we look out to the June meeting. Remember, earlier comments from at least some Fed officials opened the door for a 75 basis point hike. So again, we'll be listening to Chairman Powell to see if there's any indication that he supports that potentially larger increase down the road.
2: So, so Lindsay, take us through your expectations, you and your team over at Stiefel. Is there an expectation that we could see 50s at the next X meetings? Is there a 75 that's possibly in there? What would have to change for those assumptions to really, really ratchet higher for those rate rate increases?
6: Well, I would agree that the door is certainly open for a larger 75 basis point increase in June. But I'm not yet convinced that the Fed will move beyond a 50 basis point increase. So to be clear, we are anticipating an announcement for 50 basis points later today, an additional 50 basis points in June. But as we look out to the second half of the year, with growth already slowing and the risk of recession rapidly rising, I think it's going to be difficult for the Fed to justify even maintaining this current pace of increases, let alone accelerating the pace of rate increases. So I do expect in the back half of the year, four 25 basis point increases. That would give us a total of 125 in the front end, 100 in the back end, taking the target rate to two and a half percent by year end.
2: Is there any way that the U.S. economy can avoid a recession or can the Fed engineer that so-called soft landing for the economy if it decides to pursue it's expected path of interest rate hikes over the next, say, several quarters or years.
6: Well, it's a very difficult question because typically the Fed is raising rates when the economy is overheating and the Fed begins to raise the cost of capital, tapping down consumption, tapping down investment. But at this point, the economy is not overheating. The economy is arguably just moderate at best. Poised to lose further momentum from here is we're still struggling to grow organic legs in the aftermath of the crisis. So, for the Fed to engage in such an aggressive pathway as they've laid out, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to avoid leading us into extremely weak growth or worse, outright recession.
2: All right, Lindsay Piegza, thank you very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. Let's get to this morning's top corporate story and shares of Lyft taking a nosedive in the pre-market. Sylvana Hanau is here with those. Sylvana, good morning.
7: Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, that's right. Shares of Lyft tanking ahead of the open after issuing a weaker than expected outlook for the current quarter, partially because it needs to spend more to keep drivers on its platform and even to recruit new ones. For the second quarter, starting in March, Lyft expects revenue to come in between $950 million and $1 billion. That's far short of estimates looking for just north of $1 billion. But it wasn't all bad. Lyft did post a surprise profit for the first quarter as ride volumes, according to the company, reached, quote, a new COVID high. Although its active rider base was just short of estimates, revenue per rider hit $49.18 dollars 18 well above the $47 consensus. Lyft's big outlook missed spilling into shares of Uber, which at one point were down as much as 12% in the pre-market. In a possible effort to stem a sell-off at the open, Uber says it will now release its results at 7 a.m. Eastern Time today, earlier than it previously scheduled 4 p.m. release. And this in order to, quote, provide a more timely update on the company's performance and guidance. And a programming note, don't miss Lyft president and co-founder John Zimmer, live on Squawk Box this morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, Dom.
2: Uh, 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 certainly an uh, eye-catching, jaw-dropping number to see Lyft Absolutely. fall by that amount of money. Solana, thank you very much for that. When we come back on the show, much more of this morning's big money movers, including why Starbucks is suspending its guidance for the rest of the fiscal year. Plus, the European Union proposing an all-out ban on Russian oil imports. The news sending the price of crude surging. The fallout with energy aspects and re ascent coming up as well. And later on, Elon Musk says when he takes Twitter private, some users will have to pay to tweet. Will you be one of them? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break.
3: What does it mean to be rich?
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got AMD, the company reporting better than expected first quarter results and is forecasting strong revenue for this quarter and for the full year. The data center boom continues to boost demand for AMD computer chips. The company is focusing on the gaming and commercial sections of the market as consumer demand for PCs has been softening post-pandemic. Those shares for AMD up about five and a half percent. And by the way, AMD CEO Lisa Su will be on Squawk on the Street later on today. A must-watch interview and exclusive in the 9 a.m. Eastern Time Hour. Be sure to tune in for that. Stock number two is Match Group, the owner of Match, Tinder, Hinge and other dating sites. Says CEO Shar is resigning at the end of this month. He'll be replaced by Bernard Kim, currently the president of Zynga, which is being bought by Take-Two Interactive. Match also reporting first quarter results that beat estimates. But its second quarter revenue forecast is below analyst expectations. Match Group shares right now down 6 percent. And then stock number three is Starbucks. Second quarter earnings were in line and revenues slightly beat forecasts. Global same-store sales rising 7 percent, led by a 12 percent increase in the U.S. domestic market, thanks to more orders and higher prices. The company is suspending guidance for the rest of the fiscal year. CEO Howard Schultz says Starbucks is navigating rising costs and other challenges, including COVID lockdowns in China, one of its biggest markets. So those shares of Starbucks up 6% right now. We are headed back to the Milken Conference right now where Brian Sullivan sat down with media mogul Byron Allen, founder, chairman, and CEO of Allen Media Group, one of the largest private media companies in the country, asking him about his vision for the future of his company and the worldwide media landscape.
9: We do not have enough intellectual capital in this country for this country to survive, let alone thrive. We have got to invest a lot more in intellectual capital. Whoever masters STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, mathematics will control the world.
1: You sound you- like you're running for governor, not building a media no, empire. No,
9: no, 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 because at the end of the day, what am I doing? I mean, listen, I have no interest in politics. Politician, Thank you. Good. Politicians are nothing more than temporary hired help. And we have to remember they work for us, I the love, people. I love,
1: that. I love this.
9: Okay? They, they work for us, the people. And we have to be clear as to what our agenda is and what we need. And I call it the one America. You know, Martin Luther King taught us years ago. Here's what happened. I, I got to know Martin Luther King's widow, Coretta Scott King, the true queen of America. And she said, listen, Byron. As black people in this country, we have four major challenges. Number one, in slavery. Number two, in Jim Crow. Number three, achieve civil rights. And then she choked up. And she said, and number, and number four, the real reason they killed my Martin, achieve economic inclusion. They didn't kill my Martin over the speech, I have a dream. They killed him over the speech he gave in yeah. Stanford University in 68, where he said the speech, the yep. other america he yep. said there are two america's one america has access to opportunity economic inclusion and education two americas will not survive we must achieve one america i'm, I'm getting
1: choked i'm thinking about it okay. uh, how do we but again how does and so when how does Allen media group how do you do that pursue a strategy because ultimately also You've got to make money. I mean, we're seeing, by the way, CNN Plus, learn that. I'm not (laughs) knocking them. I'm just saying it's a hard world. Media is tough. I only make money.
9: I only make money. But when she said that to me, Brian, it changed my perspective and my trajectory forever. And from that moment on, I decided I'm going to use media. I'm going to help achieve that one American. I'm going to use media to spread the word and get people to go in that direction. The five E's, and quickly I'll share them with you. Number one, education's everything. My mother got pregnant with me when she was 16 years old and had me 17 days after her 17th birthday. Now, the good news is not only is my mother beautiful, she's brilliant, and she ended up getting into UCLA and getting her master's degree in wow. cinema TV production and got a job at NBC giving tours and her little boy would go to work with his mommy and he's watching comedians and television. That's hey, how you got on TV? That's how I got on TV. My, and educa-
1: no clue. Never heard the
9: story. Education's everything. That first E, that second E, equal justice. We have to have it. You yep. see what happens yep. with it. That third E, economic inclusion. We have to have that balance in the system. That fourth E, Environmental protection. And climate change, global warming, that's the greatest threat to humankind. It will wipe out more human beings than all the wars throughout history combined. And that fifth E, Brian, empathy. Empathy. We have to turn that empathy button back on and stop acting like we don't see the food insecure. Stop acting like we don't see the homeless. Stop acting like we don't see the mentally ill. The real epidemic in this country. We act like mental illness does not exists. So when we master, unfortunately, and it's spiking, spiking. and when we master those five E's, we can achieve one America. And if we can achieve one America, we can achieve one planet. And if we can achieve one planet, we can achieve heaven right here on earth.
2: Great interview. You can catch Brian's full conversation, by the way, with Byron Allen right now. Just head over to cnbc.com. The full content's right up there for you. Still on deck for the show, the results of the primary battle in the Buckeye State that has former President Trump scoring another political victory. We are back after this break.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis.
10: Dom, good morning. Supporters of abortion rights are protesting across the country after a draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked to Politico. Chief Justice John Roberts confirmed the authenticity of the draft and condemned the leak. If the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision is indeed reversed, Planned Parenthood says more than 36 million could be left without abortion access. 26 states would likely restrict or ban the procedure. Now to the Ohio primaries where NBC News projects that author and venture capitalist J.D. Vance has won the Republican Senate nomination. That proves former President Trump's political influence remains strong. In the last 18 days since Trump endorsed Vance, he jumped about 20 percentage points. Comedian Dave Chappelle was attacked during a performance at the Hollywood Bowl. Look at the video there. A man jumped on a stage and onto Chappelle but missed and he hit the floor. Police say he was armed with a replica gun that, when discharged, ejects a knife blade. After Chappelle came back on stage to finish his set, his guards detained the suspect until police arrived. The attack was actually hurt in this. Here's a video of him being wheeled towards an ambulance as the crowd boos him. He was taken to the hospital. No one has been charged so far. Police are investigating. Always scary when you have those, uh, the performers up on stage with so close, easy access to the audience. Dom?
2: Absolutely. And these live events, for for sure, that you, you can just tell maybe there's a little bit of kind of strangeness after having no live events for such a long time due to COVID that things have gotten strange now. Anyway, Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those headlines. We appreciate it. Ahead on the show, results of CNBC's latest flash survey, what our best stock pickers and money managers are telling clients right now and where they see the most upside opportunity with stocks at year's lows. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back. The Fed set to unveil its big interest rate decision. Former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson is standing by with what other tricks Jay Powell and the central bank may have up their sleeves to tame inflation. Your stock story of the morning. Shares of Lyft are plummeting on the back of earnings, wiping away billions of dollars in market value. And Elon Musk further pulling back the curtain on his vision for Twitter, including an eventual return to the public markets. It's Wednesday, May the 4th be with you. And you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chiu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. It's right around 5.30 a.m. Eastern time here on the East Coast. And here it's now time for your markets and your money. A look at what those are shaping up to be right now. You can see the Dow Industrial Average would be higher by just about 71 points if we opened up right now. The s and is implied higher by roughly 10 points in the NASDAQ, higher by about 25. All of these numbers right now represent just about the middle of the intraday trading range for the futures market right now, so we'll keep an eye on those. Checking yields as well, always key on a big Fed day. The 10 year benchmark Treasury note yield is currently right around 2.97%, so pulling back from above. That 3% level that we've seen over the course of the last couple of days. The two-year note yield just a hair below 2.81%. The last trade there. The 30-year long bond, by the way, 3.01%. And the stock story of the morning. It's got to be Lyft. The shares are tanking following the ride-hailing company's results. Specifically, a weaker-than-expected outlook for the current quarter. Lyft partially citing the need to spend more to keep drivers on its platform and even to recruit new ones as well. Lyft did post a surprise profit for the first quarter as ride volumes, according to the company, reached a, quote, new COVID high. Those Lyft shares are still down about 26 percent. Now, the outlook miss is spilling into shares of Uber as well, which at one point were down as much as 12 percent. Now, in an effort to possibly stem a sell off at the opening bell, Uber says it will now release its results at 7 a.m. Eastern time this morning earlier than its previously scheduled release after today's closing bell. And a programming note as well. Don't miss Lyft president and co-founder John Zimmer, live on Squawk Box this morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. A first on CNBC interview. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of questions thrown at him, a lot of explaining to do, a must-watch interview there, especially on the ride-hailing just industry overall and what could be ahead. Let's check now on you, some of your top stories as well. Sylvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana,
7: Hey, Don. Well, Vice President Harris is set to meet with organizers from unions looking to represent workers at Amazon and Starbucks. The White House sit-down, which will feature other grassroots organizations, will focus on growing efforts to organize unions in workplaces, according to the administration. This meeting comes ahead of a hearing tomorrow by the Senate Budget Committee with union and labor officials set to appear. Elon Musk is apparently already planning another life for Twitter in the public markets as he works to wrap up his $44 billion bid to take it private. According to the Wall Street Journal, Musk has told potential investors he could hold an IPO for Twitter in as little as three years after buying it. The journal adds the move by Musk... Could help reassure potential investors. He'd work quickly to improve Twitter's operations and profitability. And Musk shedding some light on potential business model for Twitter, tweeting last night that Twitter will always be free for casual users, but maybe a slight cost for commercial slash government users. And Didi says it is facing an SEC probe over its failed IPO last year. The Chinese ride-hailing giant revealing the move in a regulatory filing this week. It says it's cooperating with the agency. Chinese authorities opened an investigation into Didi two days after the company's $4.4 billion IPO last June and forced domestic app stores to remove all of the group's core services. Dom, word of the SEC probe, sending Didi shares sliding in after-hours trading.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Silvana, for those headlines. Back to the markets right now and decision day for the Fed. Wrapping up its two-day policy meeting with a 2 p.m. Eastern time interest rate decision and Powell press conference 30 minutes after that, with all but certain 50 basis point hike coming up on tap and the kickoff to a QT, quantitative tightening program. The Fed hasn't hiked by a half a point in 22 years, and it hasn't raised rates at back-to-back meetings going all the way back to 2006. Joining me now is former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman and former Fed Board Governor Roger Ferguson. He is also a CNBC contributor. Roger, good morning to you. This is maybe to me a, a foregone conclusion. At this point, we know it's going to be 50 basis points. What exactly will Powell say that could upset the apple cart either way, either bullishly or bearishly for the markets?
0: I think there are uh, a couple of things that could come out that might upset the market. Um, One will be to see how many dissents there are, if any. Uh, I don't expect any, uh, but the last time around when they raised 25 basis points, there was one dissent, and then we saw the minutes, and that suggested more people supported 50. Um, So I would look to see, did anyone dissent in favor of more or less? Um, And that would be you know, telling that maybe there's a bit more drama here uh, behind the scenes. We'll wait for the minutes to see more. So that's one thing. Secondly, um, he has been uh, consistent in his statement that the economy you know, is strong enough to withstand the kind of uh, uh, tightening that they plan or seem to plan. You know, If he wavers from that at all, that might uh, suggest maybe a touch more dovishness than, than is currently expected. I don't think that's likely to happen, but that's a possibility. Um, Certainly, there's an expectation that so-called quantitative tightening uh, is going to start shortly, uh, be announced here, and maybe start in June. Again, unlikely for that to be uh, moved, but if that were, that might also suggest perhaps just a little you know, uncertainty. And, and the final thing is how he talks about, you know, the global economy, if he does at all. Um, we had a negative print for uh, the early read in the first quarter GDP, primarily uh, due to uh, weakness in so-called net exports which is a sign that the global economy outside of the U.S. may be softening a little bit. Um, and so, you know, how he thinks and talks about that and when that, that spills back over into policy here will be maybe a fourth item. You
2: know, Roger, it's, it's like you read my mind, because what I was going to ask you about was whether any of the conversation has changed after that weaker than expected first quarter GDP print that that you just mentioned. And and the nuance that goes along with it. If you take a look at the way things have shaped up for the Fed, it it had some runway, right, to, to, to go about a more aggressive interest rate hiking cycle if you had prices rising the way that they did in a robust economy. Now, granted, the jobs market is still strong, but does that GDP print really give anybody a moment of pause, perhaps, at the Federal Reserve Board right now just to say maybe it's not the best idea to do this if GDP is indicated to be that much lower over the course of the next several months?
0: Well, recognize a couple of things. The answer is certainly everyone has to take that in consideration when they think about how well we're doing. You know, there was a phrase that occurred some time ago, you know, that we can't be an island of great uh, strength and stability if the rest of the world is really slowing. So we'll see if that occurs. Now, on the other side, it was a first print. It might be resolved. or might be uh, revised, often is. Um, uh, But the other side of this is, you know, the rest of the world also is uh, struggling with rising uh, inflation. And so we just heard an announcement from the EU about uh, banning Russian oil. That's going to drive up oil prices for sure. And so uh, the inflationary impulse that we are struggling with here in the U.S. is also likely to continue even if things slow a little bit. You put your finger on very tight labor markets, uh, the housing market even as mortgages have gone up to about 5%, has also remained robust with uh, too little supply. Uh, And so it's a really daunting challenge that they have of perhaps perhaps a slowing global economy in the face of uh, continuing relatively high uh, inflation so difficult days ahead i believe and complicated ones for sure as well roger ferguson thank you
2: very much for that uh, and good luck with the day as well obviously a very very big decision coming up i'm sure you and many experts will be trying to parse everything that comes out of that decision making process to a developing story thank you now so much. to a developing story now and the price of oil surging this morning on the news that the european union is proposing a ban outright on imports of all russian oil within 6 months and a ban on all russian refined oil products By the end of this year. Joining me now is Energy Aspects co-founder and director of research Amrita Sen. Amrita, you're the oil expert we often turn to to make sense of this. I, I guess my question, first of all, is this. Maybe not a surprise because they've been talking about this kind of getting off Russian oil for a while. Is the energy market right now much more sophisticated about the way that they are approaching These headlines coming out of Russia and Ukraine, I I only ask because there are some out there who might have said on this kind of a headline, I would expect oil to be up 10, 15 percent, but it's up about four to five percent and slowing down right now. So is the oil market getting better at trying to figure this out?
5: I think it's a great question. And look, uh, the the biggest challenge right now we have is that um, a lot of traders are actually not participating in this market. We've talked about the huge volatility and the margin calls before as well. That's keeping them away. And if you look at what has been going on over the last kind of few weeks, it's been this tussle between losses in Russian supply and how big can that get versus losses in demand because of the China COVID situation. So a lot of traders have said to me, you know what, day trading is actually easier right now rather than holding on to a long-term position because you've got Kind of both sides effectively cancelling one another out right now. Now, going into the summer, that does look different, at least on our assumptions, because we do expect China to start recovering quite significantly in the second half of the year. Infrastructure spending, but also COVID cases coming under control. Um, I think that's why you've seen all these price kind of the reaction has been pretty muted because we, the market at least seems to be pretty wary of the demand situation in China. I mean, I would say demand is still extremely strong outside of China. Yes, Chinese buying is muted, but we do think uh, cases are kind of coming down and Chinese buying is going to pick up because their stock levels are low. But that's where the real confidence is lacking in the market.
2: What, what, What gets traders more confident in taking outright more bearish or bullish position bets? On this market, rather than just getting intraday in and out of the positions that they're already in, where 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 do they take a view? Why, what has to happen for them to say, you know what? It's good enough to say oil prices are rocketing higher or going to fall because of demand. Mm-hmm. What what needs to happen?
5: I think the issue is that you've got one on the positive or bullish side, i.e., Russia, and one on the bearish side, which is China, and that's why there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. But. Either side, if we get a couple of positive headlines out of China, uh, the tricky thing with the European embargo, like and you've mentioned this at the start as well, it isn't new. Um, I do think formalizing it will give more impetus to the market because, you know, we are talking about potentially winding down oil um, imports within six Six months products by the end of the year. But again, the market's uh, looking into the details and saying, hang on, so many different countries are asking for exemptions. What does that mean? What do those volumes look like? And, you know, you could have Hungary, Slovakia getting potentially a 20-month wind-down period. Now, they are not the big volume importers, but still, it could add up. So I think with all these sanctions, with then you've had the SPR, I think people really need to or want to know the details of exactly how much oil will be lost from the market. And then it's going to be looking to China to get more clarity on the situation on the demand side.
2: Details are scarce for sure right now. Rita Sen, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks. Coming up on the show, more of your morning's big money movers and the strong demand signals sending shares of Airbnb higher. You can see they're up by about four to five percent. for what exchange is back after this? Time once again for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got Yum China. Profits falling 44 percent in the first quarter, although revenues rose 4 percent. The fast food chain expects to post an operating loss this quarter, saying the economic damage caused by the latest COVID surge is worse than the initial outbreak back in 2020. The company is pulling back on advertising and promotions, postponing some store remodels, and is negotiating rent relief as well. Yum China shares up about 1% right now in Hong Kong trading. Stock number two is Akamai. Shares are lower after the cybersecurity and cloud company reported mixed first quarter results. Earnings missing forecasts while revenues were roughly in line with expectations. Akamai noting the challenging global environments and headwinds stemming from the stronger U.S. dollar were at play there. Akamai shares down nearly 14% pre-market right now. And then finally, it's Airbnb. It expects to post its first full-year profit this year after revenues jumped 70% in the first quarter. Customers booking a record number of nights and experiences while hosts raised rates due to inflation. Airbnb says early bookings show strong demand for the summer with more than 30% more nights booked than the same time back in 2019 pre-COVID. Those shares, by the way, up 5% right now for Airbnb. Back to Los Angeles and the annual Milk and Global Conference. Our own Brian Sullivan sitting down with BNP Paribas USA CEO Yon Yves Filion, getting his take on inflation, the economy, the headwinds facing the markets, and so much more.
11: We believe that the conflict in Ukraine calls for among everyone, you know, solidarity in the international community, we at by right us stand alongside those working to protect human dignity. Uh, as you said very well, you know, it's a confusing time. And the last few months have been very confusing. You know, we had some headwinds. Uh, we know them, you know, supply chain disruption, which is still here to stay, hawkish Fed, inflation, uh, and in the meantime, we still see a lot of positive drivers for the U.S. economy around, uh, you know, still excellent uh, individual and corporate balance sheets. Uh, We see very active capital markets, as well as, you know, uh, the stimulus that was implemented during the pandemic providing still a good momentum. And we see this U.S. economy being one of the most resilient economies in the world. Our economists expect around three percent gdp growth in 2022 in 2023 and by the way similar expectations for the eurozone in spite of their proximity to the conflict
1: so it sounds like you think that people meaning many wall street firms economists maybe are too pessimistic
11: well i i would say one has to really recognize the headwinds we just discussed in the meantime The momentum, the clients, you know, I've seen clients a lot, and actually here at the Milken Conference, a lot of clients' interaction are actually quite uh, positive and committed to investing. I mean, among uh, the main concerns already, and obviously are the, you know, high volatility in terms of rates and currencies and commodities, but still what clients are looking for, it's uh, supporting their supply chain management, still investing, but they have to switch from what we call just-in-time to just-in-case. They are looking for financing, uh, um, and more specifically, short-term financing, you know, how to better support their short-term CapEx program, working capital as one of the largest banks in trade finance who are very active there. And last but not least, they are really, really looking for what we call risk management, you know, hedging strategies around inflation and commodities, and as one of the largest derivatives banks in the world, yeah. we're pretty well equipped to provide this service.
1: And that's what I think people don't understand fully about BNP is how big you are in derivatives. You bought a prime brokerage business from Deutsche Bank. You are one of the world's biggest, I don't want to say traders, but, yeah, derivatives things. You're not, you're not just a bank. You're also extremely active on Wall Street. The stock market's down 20% in certain parts of the market in in nine, you know, 90 days, how are you guys managing through this, Sony?
11: Well, I think you, you know the bank so well, Brian, present in 62 countries, uh, really able to support our clients through a diversified platform and our uh, increased presence in prime services, in equity derivatives, actually is a very good fit to serve these needs. Um, I think uh, uh, the... Uh, what, has, what one has to really pay attention to is, as you mentioned, inflation is what the role of central banks is going to be. Both, by the way, the ECB and the Fed, we expect uh, uh, the Fed to be obviously very hawkish. We expect uh, uh, this year probably an increase around 225 bips in terms of rate hikes, continuing in 2023. Continuing? Continuing in wow. 2023 until they reach what we call the neutral rate status. And probably they will reassess at this stage. In the meantime, they've announced quite clearly that they will be aggressively unwinding the balance sheet at a pace of probably $95 billion a month. It's unprecedented. Unprecedented. And this is what, you know, probably the role banks have to play with their clients is to help them navigate these uh, complicated waters. And, uh, but, uh... Still having in mind that there is still good business momentum.
1: Well, maybe nobody does it better than BNP Paribas. Uh, Johnny Filion, CEO of BNP Paribas US. Real pleasure. Thank, Johnny, you. Critical time.
11: thank you so much for having me, Brian. No, as privilege. always, thank you for joining
1: us here on CNBC. Appreciate it.
2: All right. Thanks, as always, to Brian Sullivan for that conversation as well. And by the way, full contents. Go over to CNBC.com. You can see the full interview there. On deck for the show, investors bracing for another potential rate hike by the Fed. Sarian Strategic Partners Greg Sarian lays out what it could mean for you and your money and the moves to make around a more hawkish central bank. We'll be right back after this break. All right. Welcome back. A look at the day ahead for investors on this May the 4th Star Wars Day. Get it. May the 4th be with you at 830 a.m. Eastern time. We get the April ADP employment report, followed by the latest reading on ISM services at 10 a.m. Eastern time. We'll also get Ford's April sales figures this morning, along with Costco sales figures for the month later on in the day. And several earnings to watch before the bell, including CVS Health, Marriott, and Uber now. Remember, they bumped theirs up. They were going to be after the closing bell. Now they're going to be before, given Lyft's results. Back to the markets and amid that continued volatility, results from the CNBC Flash survey polling our stock-focused contributors highlights the sector they say will be the best-performing one for the rest of the year. 36% of respondents saying energy is the sector with the most upside. Technology coming in behind that at 29%, followed by healthcare at 21%. Discretionary and materials rounding out the list with a distant 7% each. For more on this and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Greg Sarian, founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower. So, Greg, I guess my question is this we, we OK, I, I'm, it's not certain yet, but it's fairly certain that the Fed is going to raise interest rates by half a percent, point five percent, 50 basis points. However, you want to say it, it represents a clear and present. But is it a danger or not danger for the market?
12: Well, first, thanks for having me back, Dom. And I think investors need to pay careful attention, not only to what the Fed does, but to what they say, what they say about the balance sheet runoff, because that is going to keep bond yields elevated and continue to put pressure on equity markets. And I think what they say about the persistence of inflation, do they see the pace of inflation? Certainly the data we're getting from the labor markets is giving them a green light to go 50 basis points this month and next month. But the data will determine what they do afterwards. So
2: if that's the case, then is it okay to be constructive about putting money to work now, even though we know this is going to be the path forward in the next several months? The markets are already hovering near, not at, but near the lows of the year in 2022.
12: Sure. I think constructive, I would use the word cautious and what I mean by that is I, I note your survey, and yes, those are all high-quality sectors, but I think investors need to be focusing on the most cash-rich, the most balance sheet-strong companies in those sectors that pay high dividends and that have very low debt. I think that's the area that we see that value style of investing, because if markets are going to be volatile, which is our call, we don't see an end to this choppiness anytime soon, resting in companies that have some earnings growth and dividend yield, it's a safe haven, but also, Dom, not to overlook what, what we've seen a pullback in bond prices. Short duration, high quality muni bonds now yielding two and a half, two and three quarters percent or four percent on a taxable equivalent yield for high income investors. And those warrant some attention right now.
2: All right. So we've got just a few moments left here. Greg, I'd like to know what goes on the shopping list. Are there specific stocks that you're looking at, specific areas of that bond market besides munis?
12: Yeah. So uh, on the equity side, we we like really high quality dividend paying ETFs like QAL and DGRW. I think those focus on the top most cash rich dividend stable companies on the S&P 500. And I think those will be the areas we focus on at this point.
2: All right. Greg Sarian over at Sterian Strategic. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Have a good day, sir. That does it for us here at Worldwide Exchange. It's a big day for the Fed. Swapbox picks up the market
1: coverage, and they're coming up next. Keep it right here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy,
9: So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.